I've titled my sermon this morning, How Are Your Priorities? I'm not sure if this thing happens to young people, uh, young people to do or not. I, I don't remember. I, it's too long ago. But I know it happens to people past middle age, which, which is me. So if you fit this category, um, let me just ask you, do you find yourself sometimes getting up out of your chair, which can be a chore, and then you go to a different room? Maybe you go upstairs. We don't have an upstairs in our house, but maybe a downstairs in the basement. You go to get something, and you come back, and you realize, oh, what I went to get, I didn't get. You went to get something only to find, realize you made that trip for nothing. I'm not going back there again. I'm not, try- I'm not doing this again. Now, those of you in your 20s, you don't know yet what this is like. You have no idea what I'm talking about. Little children, they have no clue. But those who are a bit older, whose joints and, and limbs start showing signs of age, you know what I'm talking about. I know the feeling. Sometimes, and, it, and it's in other areas too, sometimes my wife will send me to the store to get something, and I go to the store to get something, only to arrive home or forgot what I was supposed to get, got something else. And so my mind does not always stay on track, I get distracted. What I intend to do is not actually what I do. And so people make choices, and sometimes out of ignorance, or sometimes we just plain simply forget. See, history is full of stories of people who somehow mysteriously ended up where they didn't plan to go. Some people keep making the same decisions over and over and over again, hoping for a different result. It's maybe indecision, it's maybe just distraction, whatever it is, people end up where they don't want to be. And when you observe their lives, you say, well, no wonder. You you brought this on yourself. There's a proverb in the Bible. And uh, I will not have the PowerPoint on today. It's apparently not working. But Proverbs chapter 26, verse 11, it says, As a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool repeats his foolishness. You may wonder, why did you pick a verse like that to begin your sermon? When we don't prioritize well, we will keep getting what we've got in life. And a fool may say, well, this wasn't supposed to happen. Of course it wasn't supposed to happen, but it did. And the reason it happened was because decisions weren't changed. And sadly, the wrong decision has been made too many times, and one day it's past the point of no return. There are many stories of people who have at some point in time taken a wrong turn, and they believe the lie that they can outsmart life, and sooner or later, it, they realize to their chagrin, to their horror, that it has not worked and you can't redo it. I'll say it this way, and I think this picture will stick with you. No mouse eats the cheese on the trap, planning to pay for it with their life. No mouse eats the cheese on the trap, planning to pay for it with its life. It's very short-term thinking on a mouse's part in terms of, well, they can't reason, they don't know they're going to get killed. But we as humans have been told we shouldn't do something, we still do them, then wonder, why did it go wrong? Many of you know this preacher, he's very famous, very well known, his name is Andy Stanley. A lot of you know him. He said this one time, he said, we don't drift in good directions. We discipline 
and prioritize ourselves there. We can all drift easily and not pay attention to what's happening. I remember well when, when Anna and I were young. We're still young, but we're younger. And I had to so intentionally discipline myself and focus on our little boys. We had two boys, Jimmy and Tommy were the little ones. Danny came a few years later. But when Jimmy and Tommy were small, I had to really discipline myself to be, to be focused on them. And I could forget. I could become distracted. And, and they would just get into things little boys should not get into because I was not paying attention. My wife, on the other hand, was different. She could not get distracted if she tried. She had eyes in front and the back of her head, ears on all sides. She was aware, as they say, she was on the ball. When it came to watching her boys, I was present, yes. Aware sometimes, but not on the ball. And at the same time, however, instead of denigrating myself too much, I would like to say this, when we're driving, if that motor in the car misses one shot, it's a four-cylinder motor, spinning at, turning at about 2,000 RPMs, and one piston misfires one time, I hear it, and I feel it. I'm that much in tune with the car. My wife would never notice that. That's not her thing. But to me, this is important. I'm into those things, so this is important to me. I can tell. I've been, I've been just been learned, I've learned, in, I've learned to recognize these things. Each one of us has something that we pay attention to. And some things in life just don't matter a lot. They, they're just not important. And that's fine. But there are some things in life you can't afford to miss. If you miss them, you can't go back and redo it. Some things in life literally have eternal consequences. And they matter a whole lot. And sometimes the things that matter most, we are the least in tune with. And we somehow just, it goes by and we wonder, where what happened? And so with that, I want to begin our scripture passage this morning out of Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 to 34. We'll read verse, verse 19. Here, this is the background to the story, is Jesus is preaching. He's what's on, what we call the Sermon on the Mount. He's got an audience before him. He's, he's teaching them all kinds of things. Blessed are the poor and all those things. And then in what we have is chapter 6. He simply says, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them. When we're thieves, break in and steal. It's a very interesting, fascinating little piece there. The whole chapter is very fascinating, but I'll just, just dwell on, on this part for a few minutes with me here. What we see here is the people of that day and age also understood treasure, like we understand treasure. And Jesus tells them what to prioritize in. He says, don't prioritize in money. It's very easy to become treasure-focused. And he's not, he says money, but it means a lot more than just dollars or, or whatever they had. It simply means wanting things to the extent that they take over our lives. If it had not been a problem, he would not have mentioned it. But this is a warning. Do not store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Because the treasures are temporary and they can be lost. But just thinking a little bit further, would it not seem logical when we read history that by now, with all the recorded history that we have, that by now, world leaders would have figured this out? 
world leaders would have sorted this through and identified what makes for healthy cultures, for healthy societies. Wouldn't this be a reality in our time? Leaders would have figured this out by now, wouldn't they? But no. We're still as money-driven, as money-hungry, and as money-possessed as we've always been. Maybe never more so than now. This world is in deep financial trouble. I mean, just look at the way governments are borrowing and spending. As if we can spend our way into prosperity. So in essence, we are not learning the lesson well. And as the words of the proverb are true, and we see this in politics, in the financial sectors, and in our jobs, in our, the way we do business, as a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool returns to his folly. Bad prioritizing. And if you listen to the statistics of how much people are struggling financially, it's not because they don't have good wages, not in Canada or the States at least. We make more money than, than any other part of the world. We make more money than people have ever made before. And the idea is if we can get that raise, if we can increase that, and I'm not saying raises are bad or we shouldn't get a better paying job, that's not the point. But the point is when that controls us and that's our goal and focus in life, Jesus says, it's not secure, it won't work. Treasures on earth are not secure. Your treasure is not secure. My money in the bank is not secure. Now that's depressing, right? Did, if you've been watching the news, did you know that in Venezuela the currency has tanked? What it simply means is that if you had money, let's say you're a retiree in Venezuela, you've worked for 40 years, saved your money, put it in the bank on interest, the last two years, it's worth nothing. Think about that. It has not happened in Canada, has not happened in the States, but it can. I'm not saying this now, we should all quickly go tomorrow and pull our money out of the bank and put it somewhere else. That's not what I'm saying. But don't make that the foundation of your trust. Currency can and does lose all its value sometimes. In Venezuela, it has. Almost worthless. Those who had savings now have none. In today's language, Jesus would simply say, don't store up for yourself treasures in banks or in institutions where it can be stolen or where it can become worthless. Yes, it's not not sin to have money in the bank. Well, you can't just all grab our money and take it home and put it under the mattress. It's not what this is about. And Jesus is not saying that. And it cannot mean that because then the Bible would contradict itself. The principles of Scripture are clear that we should work hard, we should earn money, we should earn enough to help others, and part of that means putting something away. Even Paul writes about that in, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14, by the way. He says this, he says, The context of the passage is not about saving money so much as it is about why he's coming to Corinth and how he's coming to Corinth. And he says in chapter 2 Corinthians 12, 14, he says, Here for the third time I'm, already, I'm ready to come to you, and I will not be a burden, for I seek not what is yours but you. For children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. That principle you find throughout Scripture. In Scripture, money is never something to be wasted nor hoarded, but to be saved and to be taken good care of. And this goes for all of our earthly property. Jesus isn't saying money is bad. But if money becomes our treasure, then there's a problem. If money is our treasure, we have a problem. Money is a tool, and we should use it well and wisely and generously. Our objective in life should always be to use things for a higher purpose than the here and now. Because after all, we're citizens of a heavenly kingdom. And he does talk about this in verse 20. He says, Matthew 6, 20, Store your treasures in heaven 
where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal, where your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Can you imagine a community that would be debt-free? Or a province that would be debt-free? Or a nation that would be debt-free? Or as individuals that would be debt-free? I didn't plan the sermon in line with Joe Penner's um, peace uh, training, uh, financial peace training. I didn't plan it with that in mind. This is something I planned long ago that I would preach the sermon this morning. It's kind of interesting how it just coincides. But Jesus says there is a secure investment, and that is how we use the earthly things for heavenly good. That's, an, that's a heavenly investment. We can, with our earthly things, store up treasures in heaven. And one of the worst things we can do is take the God-given resources we have, whether it's our time, our energy, or our strength, or our money, and just blow it. Don't care what we do with it. It's not right. So how do we prioritize the way we use the temporal things is an indicator of where the heart is. Now, I'm not saying you can't go on vacation, you can't go to a restaurant, that's not what this is about. But how is it going? And, and this comes out in many ways, whether it's sacrifice of time or even in our careers, what we do, and the way we sacrifice money for the good of others and we spend it carefully and save up for, for a rainy day for when we're older. And yes, sometimes Jesus does tell an individual here or there, he did in his day, Go and sell what you have, give to the poor, and then come follow me. This does not mean that everybody should do that because, well, logically, not everybody can sell because then nobody would be buying. And so it means for some people there's a different calling in life than others. He says in verse 22, he says, Your eye is a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is good, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is bad, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep is that darkness. You know what, folks? On the materialistic side of things, on the consumer side of things, on the financial side of things, there's an awful lot of darkness in our country. So much so that people can literally not see where they're going. I know this sermon goes online, so I have to be careful how I word my sermon, my words, but we're in bad shape. A country is no stronger than the individuals which make up that country. So if everybody was following my example, uh uh-oh, am I careful with my time, with my energy, with my money? Would I be the one to pick as an example how to spend money, how to spend my time, how to spend my resources? Am I investing in eternal things with my resources? Or have have I just been squandering it? Jesus talks about spiritual discernment here. He's not talking about the physical eyes. He's talking about the inner, the emotional, the, the, uh, the heart, the soul. What's it driven by? Impulse? Pressure? Circumstances? He says, if your eyes are good, you'll be able to see well. You'll have understanding, ability. That's important. How do you tell a person who is blind what reality looks like? You can't. You can maybe feel but you can't really explain it. God has to open that person's eyes. And so many of our people in our communities, maybe even our church or some, who need to have their eyes opened by the Spirit of God, who can maybe for the first time see reality the way God sees reality, maybe for the first time see spiritually the way reality really is. When the eye is bad, 
Life reflects it. The worst off are those who are lost, who don't think they are, those who are blind and yet think they can see. And Jesus called the Pharisees some of those people. But one thing that comes out very clearly and very powerfully with no questions is this principle in verse 24. He says, no one can serve two masters for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money or material resources. What it comes down to, it is an either-or situation, not both and. I can only travel east if I'm driving east. I can only travel west if I'm driving west. I should never expect to end up in Kingsville if I'm traveling to Wheatley. But how many people think it's going to be okay? You know what, I'll just drive a little longer this direction, then I'll make a U-turn. I'll just drive a little longer this direction, I'll make a U-turn. No, you don't know if you will. This last Thursday in the Young Adults, we talked about idol worship and how God is against idol worship, how the people of the Old Testament in Israel didn't think it was a big deal until one day they had gone too far. And God said, that's it. You've been warned. You've been disciplined. It hasn't worked. Now the consequences will be real. And they were. And the people suffered. The pressures we face are very real. And we may have excuses we may have reasons. We object. We, there's circumstances. These circumstances, they control us. But what does Jesus say? Well, let's listen to him. Let's say what he says, verse 25. He says, that is why I tell you. Because of this, that's why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns. For your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you far more valuable than him than they are he says don't focus on the outward on the material on the temporary don't focus on that you need those things that is true and god provides those things that is true but don't make them your priority that's what i'm telling you not to worry about i've never heard about a course on worry that you can go and learn how to worry it doesn't exist it's something we just naturally do One statistic says that 97% of everything that gets worried about never happens. One person said this too wisely, just wise crack, said, yep, that's why I do it, because then it won't happen. Just joking. But the truth is, most of the stuff that occupies our brains so intensively, so, so, in such pressure, in such weight, to God it's nothing. He says, we cannot serve two masters. It's an either-or situation. And why worry about the things of this life? He's really pushing us hard in the direction, trust Jesus. So with that being the case, that we must choose and we do choose, the question we have to ask ourselves, what are we choosing? Well, I'm choosing God, okay? Well, what about if I ask the neighbor? What would he say? What if I ask your spouse? or your partner, or your child, or your parents? What would they say you're choosing? The people of Jesus' day needed a lesson in prioritizing. So how are our priorities? How are our priorities that we make? Nature doesn't worry. The animals don't worry. Jesus said you shouldn't either. Worry makes no sense. Say it with me. Worry makes no sense. So you're going to go home and not worry again, right? 
Oh, I know. Some of you worry about your test. What will the mark be? Some of you worry about your job. What will the boss be like? Or about your employees, what they will be like? Or about the circumstances at work, some bad circumstances. And we all have this problem. But what does it help? What does it, what use is it? God didn't call us to worry. In fact, Jesus has some very good words in response to that. In case we just feel, well, I can't not worry. I just worry. I can't help it. I can't help it. Maybe you're one of those, but I can't help but worry. Let's read verse 27 and up to 30, 31. He says, Can't all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field, how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautiful as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for flowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What are we going to drink? What will we wear? The necessities of life, Jesus, don't worry about them. He doesn't even talk about the desires and the wants of life, the cravings. Irma Bombeck once said, worry is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but never gets you anywhere. If we're preoccupied with the things of this world, then we got our focus wrong. We're prioritizing wrongly. I will say it this way. And you can correct me after the service. You don't agree with me. That's fine. It is impossible to worship God with a worrying mind. It is impossible to worship God with a worrying mind. It cannot be done. Jesus, take a look around. Not a thing you can do about it. What benefit does worry do? You can't even extend a minute of your life. Oh, well, you sure can diminish the quality of your life. Worry worry borrows from tomorrow. When's the last time you went for a walk and just peacefully, contentedly, calmly, with relaxed heart, just looked at the flowers, at the grass, at the beauty of nature, and wondered? We talked about wonder in our Sunday school this morning. God has called us for glory, for honor, for reverence. Those are the things he wants us to engage in, to enjoy. And you know what? They don't cost money. They don't take talent. The only thing they take is commitment. And maybe some time. But we can do that while we're driving, while we're walking. Back in those days, people didn't have cars like we do. I was saying in Sunday school, I find it interesting how now in the back seats of our cars we have entertainment things in our cars, little little screens we can watch stuff and distract it. I don't have to look at the scenery and look at the look creation. I can, I can just look at this little screen and watch a movie. I'm not saying it's sin, it's just bad. Back then it was more relaxed. The reality is this. If we start worrying, wondering what we're going to eat, what we're going to wear, then we already have started prioritizing wrongly. Let's keep on trusting God. If you don't like that, there's an alternative, but you do not want the alternative. Notice what Jesus says about the alternative. Verse 32. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. When's the last time you heard a little three-year-old complaining to him, Mommy, will we have enough food tomorrow? Is there going to be enough food for supper in our fridge? And if a child did that, you think, what's wrong with this child? 
Does God not view us the same way? Why are we worried about these things? Jesus is saying the temporary material things dominate the minds of unbelievers. So if they dominate the minds of unbelievers, in which category do we find ourselves if that's all we're thinking about? But there's a, there's an alternative here. There's something else here that he talks about that I think is important for us to realize. Verse 33, he says, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. You don't need to borrow from tomorrow. There's one simple priority we need to keep in mind, and that is God's kingdom. We are kingdom citizens. We don't belong here. We live here for now, temporarily, until our time is up, and we are in the kingdom of heaven now already. Let's live like it. Let's not live as earthly citizens, unbelieving citizens of the kingdom of this world. Let's live like kingdoms of heaven, like citizens of heaven. I would never say that you should do this. But what would happen if you had to give all your financial information, your credit card records, your checkbook records, your spending records, all your receipts for the last five years, give them all to somebody who will say, according to this, tell me where this man's heart is, where his priority is. What would they evaluate you and me as? I remember years ago listening to a well-known speaker. He's passed away since then. He says, just give me a man's calendar. And this checkbook, back then they didn't have all this debit stuff, and it was in existence, but not like today. He said, give me a man's calendar and his checkbook. In 30 minutes, I'll tell you what kind of man he is. In 30 minutes, I will know, I'll know very soon where his heart is, what he's full of. Some of us, our time is consumed with the, with the temporal things of this world. That's all we can think of. That's all we're obsessed with. That's all that drives us. Church is a side thing. I would hope that's true for the fewest, but it is for some of us, perhaps. Then for others, it's about the kingdom of God, how I can be a part of it. So what are our needs? Well, they'll not be the same for everybody either. They'll be different. Some need a bigger house than others because of the work they do. Some need a different job than others because of the work they do. Some need a different income than others because of the way God wants them to serve. God does care about those things but they can never become the, ob- the objective. They can never become the focus. So if you're God's child, God wants to take care of you. But one thing I can say for certainty and for sure is this. If you're God's child, God will never, God will never sacrifice his relationship with you by catering to fleshly desires. He may allow them, but that's never his will. And so sometimes when life gets really difficult, gets really challenging, gets very hard, you can simply sit back and say, hmm, God must want me real close. Too often we interpret as the, the material affluence around us, we interpret, that, well, God is blessing us. In a way, He is. At the same time, sometimes just self-focused. We're just so obsessed with ourselves. God wants to care for our bodies, our physical needs, but he wants us as people, as his children, citizens of his kingdom. So yes, continue to work at your job. Continue to make as much money as you can in whatever way is, 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 uh, is, is honoring and, uh, to God. Do that. And then use it to bless others, bless God, save up for the future, serve loved ones, 
give to charity with your time, with your resources, with your energy and your finances, and see if you will not have a whole lot more peace than if you just try doing the same thing over and over and over again, and you have no peace, and you try again, you have no peace. You see, this world is like the dog, continually returning to its vomit. I hope I'm not ruining your lunch. But that's our culture. It's ugly in an ugly mess. So prioritize your life in such a way that when people observe you, when they watch you, when they connect with you, hey, I want that. I want to live like that. They'll see Christ in you. We sing about that. And we we should live in a way that we're never embarrassed if somebody should see our bank account or our the way we spend our time or our energy or our resources. We should never have to, oh, I hope they don't see where I spent my money last month. Ooh, I hope they don't see this. We should never be like that. Remember a guy said to me many years ago, he said, truth fears no investigation. So as I'm thinking, as we're thinking about prioritizing in life, where are our priorities? I'm going to close with this. There's a movie that I've often talked about and watched numerous times called Miracle on Ice by this hockey team in Madison Square Gardens where a coach, Herb Brooks, he, uh, he formed this, this uh, hockey team of uh, young hockey players. And they were kind of just goofing off and not really caring what they were doing. They were just kind of mon- monkeying around. And, and then one day he was, up, he was kind of fed up with them. And he said, you cannot be a team of common men to these hockey players. Common men go nowhere. You cannot be a team of common men. Common men go nowhere. We cannot be a church of common people with no goal and no, no mission, no vision for our lives. We have to be uncommon. We have to be dedicated, passionate, focused, committed, loyal. We have to be those things. And you know something? It's only possible through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because if not, we're going to falter again and again and again. We make the same mistakes over and over and over again. Wonder, what are we getting wrong? There's many, many people in this world who are struggling, spinning their wheels, never moving forward. Nothing is happening. The reason is they leave Christ out of the picture. Once Jesus becomes number one, once he's our priority, he's our focus, everything else starts lining up, starts coming together, and we become a person of attraction where people want to be like we are. It's not really about the money. It's not really about the things. They are just the outward indicators of where our heart is. So let's focus our heart on Jesus, align our finances, our time, our resources with that, and see what the Lord will do. May God give us grace to that end. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word to us. The stories that you told to the disciples of that time were fascinating. And the people were in awe and wonder at what you told them. But it hasn't lost its power, its significance. It still is the same message. And Lord, just as you wanted your followers back then to be completely sold out, dedicated, committed 100% to you, you expect the same of us today. And I pray, Lord, where we have faltered, where we have become casual or shallow or distracted or non-committal, where we have, we have wandered off. Lord, help us, Lord, help us to come back to you. That people will see in the things we have and the things we do, you are number one. You are Lord. 
You're our Savior. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.